Welcome to the Slate Star Codex podcast for the 27th of April 2020. Title Give Yourself Gout for Fame and Profit. Part 1 Actually, no. You should not do this. Most of you were probably already not doing this, and I support your decision. But if you want a 2,000 word essay on some reasons to consider this, and then some other reasons why those reasons are wrong, keep reading. Gout is a disease caused by high levels of uric acid in the blood. Everyone has some uric acid in their blood, but when you get too much, it can form little crystals that get deposited around your body and cause various problems, most commonly joint pain. Some uric acid comes from chemicals found in certain foods, especially meat, so the first step for a gout patient is to change their diet. If that doesn't work, they can also take various chemicals that affect uric acid metabolism or prevent inflammation. Gout is traditionally associated with kings, probably because they used to be the only people who ate enough meat to be affected. Veal, venison, duck and beer are among the highest risk foods. That sounds a lot like a medieval king's dinner menu. But as kings faded from view, gout started affecting a new class of movers and shakers. King George III had gout, but so did many of his American enemies, including Franklin, Jefferson and Hancock. Beginning a long line of gout-stricken US politicians most recently, Bernie Sanders, Lincoln Post. Lists of other famous names include Lincoln Post, Alexander the Great, Charlemagne, Leonardo da Vinci, Martin Luther, John Milton, Isaac Newton, Ludwig van Beethoven, Karl Marx, Charles Dickens, and Mark Twain. Question, isn't this just a list of every famous person ever? It certainly seems that way, and even today gout seems to disproportionately strike the rich and powerful. In 1963, Dunn, Brooks and Mausner published Social Class Gradient of Serum Uric Acid Levels in Males, Lincoln Post, showing that in many different domains, the highest ranking and most successful men had the highest uric acid, and so presumably the most gout. Executives have higher uric acid than blue-collar workers. College graduates have higher levels than dropouts. Good students have higher levels than bad students. Top professors have higher levels than mediocre professors, Lincoln Post. DBNM admitted rich people probably still eat more meat than poor people, but didn't think this explained the magnitude or the universality of the effect. They proposed a different theory. Maybe uric acid makes you more successful. Before we mock them, let's take more of a look at why they might think that and at the people who have tried to flesh out their theory over the years. Most animals don't have uric acid in their blood. They use an enzyme called uricase to metabolize it into a harmless chemical called allantoin. About 10 million years ago, the common ancestor of apes and humans got a mutation, Lincoln Post, that broke uricase, causing uric acid levels to rise. The mutation spread very quickly, suggesting that evolution really wanted primates to have lots of uric acid for some reason. Since discovering this, scientists have been trying to figure out exactly what that reason was, with most people thinking it's probably an antioxidant or a neuroprotectant, or something else helpful if you're trying to evolve giant brains. Other researchers note at Lincoln Post, in lower animals, uric acid is a come-out-of-hibernation sign, which seems to induce energetic foraging and goal-directed behaviour more generally. 
Some of these people note the similarity between uric acid and caffeine. Here follows a diagram showcasing the similarities in shape between the caffeine and uric acid molecules. If uric acid had a caffeine-like effect, then high levels of uric acid in the blood would be like being on a constant caffeine drip. The exact numbers don't really work out, but you can fix this by assuming uric acid is an order of magnitude or so weaker than straight caffeine. Add this fudge factor, and Benjamin Franklin was on exactly one espresso all the time. But you can't actually be hyperproductive by being on one espresso all the time, can you? Don't you eventually gain tolerance to caffeine and lose any benefits? Although uric acid is structurally similar to caffeine, it's even more similar to a chemical called theocrine. In fact, theocrine is just 1379-tetramethyluric acid. Here follows another diagram, again showing the molecular structure of caffeine and uric acid, and also theocrine. Theocrine, not the same as theanine, be careful with this one, is a caffeine-like substance found in an unusual Chinese variety of tea plant. It's recently gained fame in the nootropic community for not producing tolerance the same way regular caffeine does. C.E.G. Theocrine, caffeine-like alkaloid without tolerance buildup, link in post. This makes the theory work even better. Franklin and other gout sufferers were constantly on one espresso work of magic no-tolerance caffeine. Seems plausible. Part 2. This theory is hilarious, but is it true? I was able to find 11 studies comparing achievement and uric acid levels. I've put them in this table below. The headings of the columns are study, sample size, finding, significant at, and awfulness. Study by Cassie, Lincoln Post, 155 10th graders, finding R equals 0.28 with test scores, significant to 0.001. The awfulness was significant. Bloch, 84 med students, R equals 0.23 with test scores, significant at 0.05. The awfulness was immense. Steeton and Heron, 817 army recruits, R equals 0.07 with test scores, significant at 0.02. Awfulness was significant. Miller and French, 114 professors. R equals 0.5 with achievement-oriented behaviour, significant at 0.01. Awfulness, astronomical. Montoy and Mickelson, 467 high schoolers, finding negative results, significant at, not applicable. Awfulness, unclear. Vini and Zampa, 270 children with a positive result, unknown significance, awfulness, what even is this? Inouye and Park, sample size, question mark, finding R equals 0.33 with IQ, significant at 0.025, awfulness, what even is this? Anemone, sample size 100 businessmen with 40 controls, Finding R equals 0.21 with drive, significant at 0.05, awfulness, immense. Uki, 88 twins, R equals 0.17 with rhythmia, significant at 0.05, awfulness, how is this even real? Done 1, 58 executives with positive result, 
unknown significance, immense awfulness, and done too. Ten medical students, negative result, not applicable significance, astronomical awfulness. Nine out of eleven are positive, but I find it hard to be confident in any of them. Modern studies can be pretty bad, but studies from the 1960s ask you to take even more things on trust, while inspiring a lot less of it. Many of these studies were unable to find the outcomes that the others found, but discovered new outcomes on their own. Many failed to report basic pieces of information. The largest experiments usually found the least impressive results. Overall, this looks a lot like you would expect from something 40 years before anyone realized there was a replication crisis. I also noticed that the most positive studies compare business executives to people in other walks of life, and the least positive studies compare good students with bad students. Business executives get a lot of chances to differ from the general population. Maybe they still eat more meat and richer food. Maybe they're stressed, and stress affects uric acid levels. What about the list of very famous people with gout? I agree, it's a lot of people, but what's the base rate? Kings were born to their position, so we have no good reason to think they are especially high achievers. Someone in their family might have been, but that gene could have gotten pretty diluted. Since so many kings got gout, this suggests rich old people in the past. Had gout pretty often, regardless of achievement. Also, this was before people invented good medical diagnosis, so probably arthritis, injuries, and any other form of joint pain got rounded off to gout too. What percent of rich old people in the past had some kind of joint pain? I'm prepared to guess a lot. The biochemists report equally confusing results around the uric acid-caffeine connection. Caffeine mostly works by antagonizing adenosine. A chemical involved in sleepiness, according to Hunter et al., effects of uric acid and caffeine on A1 adenosine receptor binding in developing rat brain. Link in post. Uric acid does not affect adenosine, and so probably does not have a caffeine-like mechanism of action. On the other hand, caffeine probably has a small additional effect on catecholamine, e.g., dopamine. Norepinephrine release, and a different paper, Lincoln Post, finds that uric acid does share this mechanism. So it doesn't have caffeine's main effect, but it does seem to have some kind of mild stimulant properties. Given this level of uncertainty around every step in the hypothesis, I would describe any link between uric acid and achievement as kind of a stretch at this point. I feel bad about this because it's an elegant theory with mostly positive studies in support, but I'm just not feeling like it's met its burden of proof. Part three, but some recent research is trying to bring this field back from the dead. At least that's what I got from Ortiz et al. Purinergic system dysfunction in mood disorders, which synthesizes some more modern evidence that uric acid and purines, such as adenosine, regulate mood, sleep, activity, appetite, cognition, memory, convulsive threshold, social interaction, drive, and impulsivity. It argues that we know there are neuroreceptors for adenosine, another similar-looking molecule, and ATP, adenosine triphosphate, the body's main form of chemical energy. These seem to be involved in depression and mania in the predicted direction. Manic people have too much ATP, depressed people have too little, and treatments for both conditions seem to normalize ATP levels. These results seem to be daring someone to make up a theory where mania is just too much chemical energy floating around. But if Ortiz et al. are doing that, it's sandwiched in between so many dense paragraphs on receptor binding that I can't make it out. More interesting for us, uric acid is related to all these chemicals and also seems to be involved in mania. See, e.g., 
de Baradis et al., evolution of plasma antioxidant levels during different phases of illness with adult patients with bipolar disorder, Lincoln Post, which finds that uric acid is elevated in manic patients, and the more manic, the higher the uric acid levels. And Mercado Vieira, Vieira claims to have gotten pretty good results, Lincoln Post, treating bipolar ma- mania with allopurinol, a gout medication that decreases uric acid. And the more the allopurinol decreased uric acid, the better the results. There's also a little evidence, Lincoln Post, that depressed people have lower uric acid than normal. None of this is a large effect. There are still a lot of depressed people with higher than normal uric acid and a lot of manic people with lower, but it's around the same size as all the other infuriatingly suggestive effects we find in psychiatry that never lead to overarching theories or go anywhere useful. Further studies should try to replicate the link between uric acid and mania and come up with a better understanding of why it might be true. Maybe since uric acid is a decay product of ATP, the body interprets it as a sign that energy is plentiful. They should try to explain away anomalies. If gout is maniogenic, how come so many people with gout are depressed? Lincoln Post. Is it just because having a painful illness is inherently depressing? And then it should investigate how mania bleeds into normal personality. Is someone with slightly higher uric acid a tiny bit hypermanic all the time? If they can fill in all those steps, I'll be willing to take a fresh look at the old papers linking gout and achievement. Until then, you should probably hold off on eating mega doses of venison to become the next Ben Franklin. This audio version of Slate Star Codex is provided with the permission of Scott Alexander. I'm not Scott, I'm Solenoid Entity, and you can find me at slatestarpodcast at gmail.com. Or, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can donate on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. If you would like to reference this material, please do so by linking to the original post. And I'll see you next time.